This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Islam Productions. في روحه عزم عظيم في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضع من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد في روحه عزم عظيم في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضع من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشهد القائد الأعلى المسدد نبينا الهادي محمد ودونكم أحد سلوه فعنده الخبر المؤكد إنما المؤمنون إخوة فأصلحوا بين أخويكم واتقوا الله لعلكم ترحمون إن الحمد لله Salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa man wala wa ba' Finna astakal hadith kitabullah wa khairul hadj Hadji Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Wa sharral umur muhdathatuhah wa kullu muhdathatin bid'a Wa kullu bid'atin dalala, kullu dalalatin finnar Ayyuhal ikhwatul kiram Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu uh, brothers, my uh, discussion with you uh, today um, is an uh, informal um, advice. And the advice uh, which I'm offering to you uh, is offered to you on the basis of the well-known hadith of the Prophet wasallam, where he said, Ad-Din al-Nasiha, that the religion is advice and conformance. And when he was asked by his companions, advice and conformance to whom? He said, Lillah, Wali Kitabihi, Wali Rasulihi, Wali Aimmatul Muslimin, Wa'amatihim. That the advice and the conformance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, to the leaders of the Muslims and to the generality of the Muslim people. So we know that in the least, we have an obligation to each other to advise each other on the basis of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us and to advise one another from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to advise one another towards the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, to advise one another to obey and to conform to the leadership of the Muslims and to advise one another in general as brothers. And uh, this advice which I'm offering to you is consistent, inshallah ta'ala, uh, with this 
characteristic. I would like to, um, to title or to characterize my advice to you today as the duties of brotherhood. And the duties of brotherhood, um, they are many. And I cannot uh, expect in this setting to cover all the duties that we have towards one, each other as brothers. But I would like to use uh, as a basis for my advice to you some of the uh, ahadith from the Arba'in ahadith of Imam Nawawi, uh, rahimullah. And I'd just like to say a little bit about this collection of uh, Imam Nawawi. I advise all the Muslim brothers, especially the, uh, the, 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 the emerging Muslims, those who are coming back to themselves, those who are coming back to the deen, those who are returning back to their Islamic consciousness, those who have children, and those who themselves, they at least want to begin their journey in knowledge upon something which is sound. I advise all the brothers to share it with their wives and their children and themselves to at least minimally read from the Arba'in Ahadith as a basis to familiarize yourself with the, the body of Ahadith. Read from them, become familiar with them, and inevitably try to memorize them. Why? Because this particular collection um, has been compiled by Imam Nawawi in a specific way to breed and to cover a number of subjects using only 40 hadiths. He has selected some of the pearls of the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ to cover, as it were, an ocean of knowledge which is very difficult to do, to cover an ocean of knowledge with just a small amount of, just a small book like this. And in fact, many of the scholars said that a volume, volumes can be written just on each hadith themselves. Just each one of these hadiths, a volume, can be written and has been. So uh, I would like to use four uh, different um, Hadith from the Prophet ﷺ from this collection as a basis for my advice to you and my advice to myself. In my estimation, in moving around the Muslim world and in examining the Muslim body and my being a part of the body, I think that one of the most serious deficiencies that we have is how we deal with each other. And in every lecture, every lecture I do all over the world, there's always groups of brothers who want to talk about Khilafah, about Islamic State, about the Kuffar, about what should we do about the enemies of Allah, whether we should go for jihad. All of these are legitimate questions and no one should trivialize them. We should not treat these brothers as if they are foolish, as if they are um, uh, agents, provocateur, or something like that. No, we should treat them with seriousness because the questions are coming from a serious concern. But the problem always for me is how do brothers want to establish something as great as Islamic State, something as ambitious, and how they want to elect or appoint and look for somebody to be the leader of the Muslims when they themselves, they're not 
practicing the duties of brotherhood. They're not behaving as Muslims. We are not behaving as Muslims. We are not doing the simple duties inside of our families as fathers, as brothers, as husbands, as neighbors. We are not doing the simple things. So if we're not doing the simple things, how do we expect to accomplish the bigger things? If someone is not able to understand simple mathematics, like 9 times 9 is 81, how are they going to do logarithms? How are they going to do geography? I mean, how are they going to do geometry? How are they going to do calculus? How are they going to construct a building that calls for them to do sophisticated mathematics? But they don't know 9 times 9 is 81. They know, don't know how to divide one figure into another. We would advise them that what they want to do is ambitious and good. But we should return back to the simple issue and cover, recover, do those simple issues and then build ourselves from that simple issue until we get to the more difficult ones. And so in this setting, I want to share with the brothers and also just advise myself, again, and keep this in mind, brothers, I'm a new Muslim. I'm, a, I'm an older Muslim. I've been Muslim for 1965, we say now 37 years, trying to be a good Muslim, trying to be a decent Muslim, trying to maintain my Islamic consciousness, but still a new Muslim because my father, mother, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts, relatives, and other family members, they are not Muslims. So I'm the first generation Muslim among my family. According to the, the category of uh, Muslim Ujudud, uh, we Muslims who fall into that category, that's who we are. So certainly, I don't have the ability to go deeply into this issue, but as it has affected me, as, it has, uh, as I have seen it among the Muslims, and as I see it here, and as I have been advised, I will do my best, inshallah, to try to uh, deal with this subject. And I'll try to deal with it in a way that even these young boys here, who are nine years old, eight years old, they should be able to appreciate it and understand it, inshallah. I'd like to start first uh, with um, a hadith. And this is a, a fairly long um, hadith. عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عن عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من نفس عن مؤمن كربة من كرب الدنيا نفس الله عنه كربة من كرب اليوم القيامة ومن يسر على معصر يسر الله عليه في الدنيا والآخرة ومن سطر مسلما سطر سطره الله في الدنيا والاخره والله في عون العبد ما كان العبد في عون الاخي ومن سلق طريقا يلتمس فيه علما سهل الله له به طريقا الى الجنه ومجتمع قوم في بيت من بيوت الله يسلون كتاب الله ويتدارسونه بينهم إلا نزلت عليهم السكينة وغشيتهم الرحمة 
وحفتهم الملائكه وذكرهم الله في من عنده ومن بطع ومن بط به عمله لم يسر به نصبه رواه المسلم بهذا اللفظ on the authority of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said whoever removes a worldly grief from a believer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will re- re- remove from him or her one of the griefs of the day of judgment and whomsoever alleviates the condition of a needy person Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will alleviate his condition and his needs in this world. And the next. Whomsoever shields a Muslim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will shield him in this world and the next. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will aid a servant of his so long as the servant aids his brother. And whomsoever follows a path to seek knowledge therein, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make easy for him a path towards paradise. And no people gather together in one of the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reciting the book of Allah and studying it among themselves without tranquility descending on them and mercy enveloping them, the angels surrounding them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making mention of them among those who are with him. Whomsoever is slowed down by his actions will not be hastened forward because of his lineage. It was related by Muslim, Imam Muslim, in these words. We see here among the duties of brotherhood, the Prophet mentions whoever removes the worldly grief from a believer. So one of the conditions that we have towards each other is to look for anything which is uncomfortable. We should ask our brother when we meet him, look in his face, study him, and ask him, كيف حالك أخي? How do you feel, أخي? How's your condition? How's your family? How's your health? Are you working? Do you need anything? With sincerity. Suppose every time we met a Muslim, he asked us five or six questions like that. Kif Halikaki, how are you? How's your family? How's your health? How's your home? You need anything, Akhi? You okay, brother? Alhamdulillah, if you need anything, let me know. The brother who asked you that, every time you meet him, what do you think about him? If there's something that you need, something happens in the course of a day, and you don't know who to call or who to ask. If you meet that brother, you will say, you will say to him, Akhi, I don't want to ask anything. I don't like to, but Akhi, inshallah, this is my situation. But why? Because you don't feel ashamed to him. Because every time you meet him, he's asking you, Akhi, if you need something, don't ask anybody. Call me. This is one of the duties that we have towards each other. To look in the face of each other, because the Prophet ﷺ said, a believer is what to his brother? He's the mirror. When you look in the face of your brother, you know his situation because you know your own situation. And we should come to know each other well enough that our brother doesn't have to ask us for what he needs. We already know. We can tell by his disposition. We can tell by his demeanor. 
We can tell by his voice. We know because his wife may be mentioned to my wife. We know because his children play with my children. We know his situation, and so we don't embarrass him, and we don't wait for him to have to ask us. We offer the need for our brother. This is one of the duties that we have, to console, to protect. The Messenger of Allah also mentioned, whoever alleviates the condition of a needy person, Allah will alleviate his condition in this world and the next. To remove a Muslim brother or sister from a calamity, a situation they are in, whether it's debt, something physical, something psychological, a stress they are under, a pressure they are under, to come to their rescue and to do so in a way that no one knows their situation and that you came to help them except you and that you keep this a secret. This is one of the duties of brotherhood. The Prophet ﷺ said, Whomsoever shields a Muslim, satara, satar, he said, Woman satara Musliman. To protect a Muslim. What is to protect a Muslim? It means to protect him from any shame. Not to allow anyone to see the fault or the shame of your brother. So if a Muslim, he does something which he himself is ashamed of, what I should do, cover that for my brother. And maybe I come up to him and say, Akhi, subhanAllah, you know, Akhi, Allah is the best knower. We are brothers. Inshallah, I just want to mention something to you. And Akhi, you should try to take care of this issue. And maybe you are the only one who knows. You're the only one who saw it. But you don't reveal it to other people. But you come to your brother and you speak to him about that. And then after that, you hold this secret. And if there's anybody to speak to about it, you speak to him about it. Or someone comes to you and mentions to you something about the brother. And you say, Akhi, I don't know that about him. Even though maybe you know it. You say, Akhi, I don't know that about the brother. I, I only know the good about the brother. But inshallah, Akhi, I think maybe, uh, maybe you and I, we should go to the brother and speak to the brother. So what are you doing in that case? You're forcing this person who came to you with that information to confront that brother himself in your presence so you, it doesn't go further. First thing you did is you tried to suppress that issue. Say, no, I don't, uh, I don't know that about the brother. So you are putting the best construction on it. You are protecting the brother's honor. You are protecting that brother's reputation. And the second thing, you are sealing the situation before it goes to somebody else. You say, Akhi, why we don't go and speak to the brother ourselves together? The other thing is, to shield a Muslim brother also is to protect him from some harm. If you know that there is some harm may come to that brother, you can protect him in different ways. You can warn him, or if he doesn't know about it and you don't have the chance to warn him, you can simply protect him by vouching for him. Suppose someone came to you and you were the only witness of an action that a brother he did. And you were asked, did you see that? Do you know that? Weren't you a witness to that action? You can say in that case, Akhi, I don't, uh, I'm not sure of what I saw. 
Okay, I don't want to be a witness to anything because I'm not certain about that. Inshallah, may Allah help the brother. Maybe you're the only witness that can come forward to, to indict that situation. You have the right out of protection for that brother. And Allah knows best there is some difference of opinion about this, how serious the issue is and who, how many people it involves and what kind of transgression that it might have been. But the issue is to protect the honor of the Muslim, protect the reputation of the brother, protect the person of the brother. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah will shield him in this world and the next who shields and protects his brother. So we know that protection and shielding the faults of a Muslim and any harm coming to a Muslim is one of the duties of brotherhood. He said, وسلم, Allah will aid a servant of his. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help a servant as long as the servant does what? He helps his brother. Helping. Helping the Muslim brother, it means even if you aid him, assist him in something very simple, the brother he's carrying some bags, and you aid him with those bags, you just can't help to carry him. You do anything small to assist your Muslim brother. This itself is a big thing in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Aiding our brother. If we find our brother is under a situation, I'm not able to relieve him as maybe he asked me. I said to him, okay, inshallah, I will do my best, Aki, to see if I can find help for you. So I may have better connections than that brother he has. I may go to 10 Muslims and say, Aki, listen, there's a brother, one of our brothers, he is in need of such and such situation. And uh, uh, I've taken it upon myself to try to assist that brother. Aki, Aki, can each one of you brothers, inshallah, give to me 10 pounds for that brother? If you trust me, inshallah, can you give me 10 pounds for that brother? They say, who is the brother? Akhi, please. Uh, I don't want to embarrass that brother. Inshallah, th he has a need. Can each one of you, on, on the basis of my relationship with you, can you give me 10 pounds? Can you give me $10, $20? And so I can give it to that brother. This is a very big thing. Because maybe that brother, he doesn't have those connections. Maybe he doesn't have the reputation. Maybe he doesn't have the relationship. He will never get this help. So who he will go to help for? He will go to the Salvation Army. He will go to the church. He will go to the welfare. Shame on us brothers, you understand me, that we force our brother or sister to go to the welfare, to go to the Salvation Army, to go to the church, to get the assistance that he should or she should get from the Muslims. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he follows these issues of the, some of the duties. SubhanAllah, in the same hadith, he speaks about Whosoever follows a path, whoever takes a path, seeking knowledge therein, as we are doing today, mashallah. Whoever takes a path, seeking knowledge therein, that is, he has the niyyah for it. He makes his determination to come to the masjid, or to come to some place, to perform the salah, and he knows, or she knows, that after the salah, or before, there will be some wa'ath, there will be some discussion. And they want to listen to it. For what intent? To increase their knowledge. And even if they cannot maybe understand, maybe the nature of the lecture will be too sophisticated for them, just they want to sit in that circle and be with people who are pursuing knowledge, be with the students of knowledge, to sit as they are sitting, to sit next to them, 
to be in their company just to feel after one leaves that I was in this kind of company of people and understood some words. The companions of the Prophet ﷺ was like that. They came from many places and they sat for long times to hear from the Prophet ﷺ to see him. And after the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, people came just to sit with companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And after that, people came just to, because they knew someone was a tabi'ah. They came and sat. Someone was tabi'ah. Someone was known to be a scholar. Someone was a student of knowledge who sat with some scholars. Someone was a student of a student. And people traveled long distances. And we find in the Muslim world that where knowledge is rare, where knowledge is scant, where knowledge is not available, where books are not available, maybe in a village there are very few books and maybe only one student of knowledge. You see the people in that village they have more appreciation for the knowledge than the people who have many, many books in their houses. So the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever follows a path to seek knowledge therein, through doing so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make easy for them the path towards paradise. SubhanAllah. The, one of the ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes easy for the, uh, the, the person who seeks knowledge is because with knowledge, what's it, what's it, they have knowledge of the, the halal and the haram, isn't it? When you have knowledge, you have knowledge of the halal and the haram. When a person is ignorant, he doesn't know the halal, he don't know the haram, so often what is he doing? He's mixing halal and haram. So he's doing what? He is uh, causing problems for himself and his family even on the road towards paradise. He is cluttering the road towards paradise because of ignorance. But when a person has knowledge, he can ask a question and sometimes through a question, he can re re relieve himself or herself from cluttering the road toward paradise. Cluttering the road towards paradise is the causing of sins, mistakes, violations, ignorance. So by seeking knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make easy for us the road towards paradise. And listen to what the Prophet said. No people gather together in one of the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This could be a masjid, or this could be a musalla, this could be one of our houses, but we are gathering for what reason? We are gathering to listen to the Qur'an. Or we are gathering to listen to the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Reciting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and studying it among themselves without sakina. A special tranquility Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reserves for those whom He loves. Sakina coming on them, a feeling, sakina, a re a relieving them of stress, giving them a feeling of safety, uplifting them, inspiring them, enveloping them, making them feel love amongst each other. And uh, one can know the feeling of sitting in a circle of knowledgeable people, of pious people, feeling the Qur'an, hearing the Qur'an explained, hearing the life of the Prophet ﷺ explained. And when you leave from such a setting, how you feel? You feel gifted. You feel light, you feel high, you feel inspired. And only maybe you sat for 10 minutes, half an hour. Because this is the sakina Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He sends down on this kind of group. He said also, not only does He send sakina down on them, but that mercy, the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala envelops them. And the malaika, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appoints,
to look for these kind of gatherings. Those malaika, they find those gatherings and they sit among them and surround them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make mention of them in a gathering where there are more malaika. And the Prophet says, whoever is slowed down by his actions will not move forward because of their lineage. So someone may say, my father is a Muslim, my grandfather is a Muslim. I'm, uh, I have 10, 20 generations of Muslims. But you are acting as a kafir and you are living as a kafir and you are eating from the haram and you are wearing from the haram and you are acting, your behavior is acting. So what does it matter? What does it matter whom your mother and your father was and where you were born, that you are Arab or that you are Asian or whomsoever you are or your family? What does it matter? Let me give you an example. I met a brother in Saudi Arabia. His father was the imam of a masjid. Young brother. And every time I met him, he's asking me about America. Akhi, what about America? And how's the life in America, brother? Subhanallah, Akhi, can you help me to get to America? Inshallah, my father is going to let me come to America. Inshallah, tell me about what can I do and what's so and so. And I noticed that his concern wasn't that of that da'wah. He was already in love with America. It was as if he was talking about a woman he wants to marry. And before I left, his father said to me, my son, he's coming to America to, um, to register in some school or to visit some people. Inshallah, Khalid, Sheikh Khalid, please, when he comes, please take care of him. I told him, inshallah, Sheikh, I'll do that. Subhanallah, when the brother was put on the plane and his father gave me the plane number, I went to the airport to meet him. When I got to the airport, he was not there. He was not there. He was on the plane, but somebody else came and meet, met him before I did. Some other Saudi brothers. Some other Saudi brothers who was already in America. Who, like him, was already in love with America. And who had already been penetrated and had already been polluted and had already been affected. They met him. The next time I got in, that brother got in touch with me, subhanAllah, the brother was in a hotel, lost his money. Then, subhanAllah, you cannot imagine what happened to him. Only two hours after he got off the plane, his friends met him, took him to a hotel room where there's some naked women dancing and this and that and so and so. They put something in his drink, the women or whatever, and drugged him. And he did all kinds of acts, some which he remembered, he didn't, some he didn't. After that, his friends, they laughed because, um, uh, because he, he, he cried. After what happened, he cried. They laughed at him and they left him. And mashallah, when that brother, when I found him and went to the place where he was, the brother, he was so ashamed and he was so destroyed, he didn't know what to do. The only thing he asked me is, please don't tell my father. I said, brother, look, my advice for you, get back on the plane. <laughs> Go back to Saudi Arabia, Akhi. Make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Akhi, and now think about this experience, this experience. You saw America. Now you met America, huh? 
go back aqi make tawbah to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and now think about what you want to do with your life aqi your father is the imam of a masjid one very respected man aqi you are his son and you were raised in the masjid aqi this brother he is holding half of the quran by memory but what did his lineage do for him who his father was what did it do for him if we are slowed down by our actions by our behavior we will not be moved forward because of our lineage and some people they think that they are protected in some kind of way simply because who their fathers are who their family is where they came from this is not the case so in conclusion on this hadith one the duties of brotherhood to console to protect to relieve to shield to assist and to support to avoid envy and exploitation to avoid and along with our brother to advise one another to seek knowledge Whenever there's some gathering for knowledge, call up a brother, call up two or three brothers. Assalamu alaikum akhi, inshallah the shaykh is going to be giving some class after Fajr every morning. One of the things I suggest to the brothers is every brother do his own database. Take the names of 20 or 30 or 40 different brothers, take their names, collect them over a period of time, and do a sadaqah at the time of Fajr. All the brothers have cell phones, mobile phones, right? All the brothers have home phones. So at the time of Fajr, you bear the cost of calling 10 brothers. Every morning, call 10 brothers. Don't uh, wait for him to answer the phone. Tell them, Akhi, inshallah, they will be the, uh, you'll get the Fajr call. The Fajr call is one, two, or three rings. That's it. One, two, or three rings. If, the, if it ring three times, hang up. The brother, he knows this was the Fajr call. Maybe this Fajr call will cause that brother to know that some brothers are concerned about him and he will come to the masjid, mashallah. After some time, he doesn't need to get the Fajr call, he will make the Fajr call. We found that using this here, we did this in Brooklyn, we found that using this in a matter of 30 days, we increased the Fajr prayer from 15 brothers to more than 40 brothers. Because just to help sometime a brother he needs to get that call in the morning, the alarm clock, he ignored it, or he didn't set it. Or he went to sleep without the intention, firm intention in his heart. Or he's not accustomed to making the getting up for Fajr prayer. Whatever the situation is, sometimes we need the help. So the brothers, inshallah ta'ala, we can say, Akhi, inshallah, you should come to the Fajr prayer, because afterwards, Akhi, there's also a dars. So if that brother comes to the Fajr prayer and there's also a dars, what will he benefit? Two things. He'll get the 27 rewards for praying in jama'ah, he will get the benefit of praying the Fajr prayer which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a good hadith about, you know, when one of you goes to sleep, how shaitan, he ties three knots behind the ear, isn't it? Huh? And he blows on those knots all night, telling you, sleep, the night is very long, relax. Subhanallah. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, when one of you wakes up and says, Subhanallah, one knot is removed. And when you go to perform wudu, Put the water on yourself, another knot is removed. And when you pray the prayer, the third knot is removed and shaitan, he has no power over you that day. And a good smell comes from your body. 
And for those people who sleep, shaitan urinates in their ear. And when they wake up, they are disoriented. Shaitan has power over them that day and they have a bad smell from their body. So subhanAllah, we'll get the reward. If that brother, he gets up, he comes to the Fajr prayer, we'll, get, we'll share in that reward. Second thing, what knowledge he benefits from that helps and changes or affects his heart, we will also share in this benefit also. Another hadith on brotherhood of the, from the Prophet again on the authority of Abu Huraira radiallahu an. You know brothers, um, uh, Abu Huraira radiallahu an, uh, and the Sheikh he can correct me. I, I thought, I thought that Abu Huraira radiallahu an, because of so many hadiths he had memorized and related, I thought that he was with the Messenger of Allah wasallam. I assumed he, he was with the Messenger of Allah so simple, a very long time. But in reading through the seerah and asking, I think the time he was with the Prophet was how many? Two years or three years? Huh? Two or three years. SubhanAllah. It's unimaginable that more hadiths are attributed to Abu Hurairah than any other companions of the Prophet Yet he was only with the Prophet for maybe two and a half years only. SubhanAllah. Because he came to the Prophet one day and he complained of his memory, that he was weak in his mind. He could not hold in his mind anything the Prophet said and he had desired to do so. The Messenger of Allah took from him a cloak which either he was wearing or the Prophet was wearing. And the Messenger of Allah sallallahu spread it on the ground and passed his hands over it and said some words, give it back to him. And Abu Hurairah said, Wallahi, after that day, I never forgot any single word from the Prophet This was a gift the Prophet gave to him, a gift that is very clear and manifest. <clears throat> on the authority of Abu Hurairah radiallahu عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عن قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تحاسدوا ولا تناجسوا ولا تباغضوا ولا تدابروا ولا بيع بعضكم على بيع بعض وكونوا عباد عباد الله إخوان المسلم أخو المسلم لا يظلمه ولا يخذل ولا يخذب ولا يحكر التقوى ها هنا ويشير إلى صدره ثلاث مرات بحسب بحسب امرئ بحسب امرئ من الشر أن يحكر أخاه المسلم كل مسلم على المسلم حرام دمه وماله وعرضه رواه المسلم here the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said on the authority of Abu Hurairah do not envy one another. Do not have hasad for one another. Don't look to what the other brother has and desire what he has. In another hadith also in the Arba'in uh, hadith of Imam Nawawi, a man asked the Messenger of Allah O oh, Prophet وسلم, tell me uh, what I can do that, Allah, uh, that I can do that if I do it Allah will love me and the people will love me. What did the Prophet وسلم, tell him? 
Give up your desire, give up your inclination towards what other people own, and the people will love you. And give up your attachment to the dunya, or your preoccupation of it, and Allah will love you. And you know, it is psychologically, this is the case. When you meet a rich person, a powerful person, if you co comment to him about his nice house, Oh, Akhi, you know your house is nice, Akhi, subhanAllah, Akhi, you, you, you know you have a nice... This, oh, Akhi, subhanAllah, your car is nice. Oh, Akhi, subhanAllah, man, you got a nice wife, Akhi. Akhi, you know, subhanAllah, Akhi, you, your children, Akhi. He doesn't want you around him. He doesn't want you around him. Because he knows that you put the evil eye on him. You're already desiring what he has. And these kinds of people, they don't want you around him. But the people who are around rich people like that, who don't care anything about them, whatever they got. They don't care about their wealth, they don't care what other people think about them, who they are, they treat them just like another guy. They tell a man, go sit down and be quiet, man. I have experienced this here with movie stars, sports figures, uh, uh, people in the, in the, um, in the media, big, big shots we call them. If you don't pay them any attention, you just treat them like another person, they like you. But if you chase after them and give them some feeling of what they have is valuable, they make you chase them even more. Here the Messenger of Allah sallallahu give us a piece of wisdom. Don't have envy for our brother. Don't have hasad. If you look to your brother's child, he has a beautiful child. You compliment him. And what's the dua that when we see something, when somebody compliments something that you have, what's the dua? What's the du'a? Huh? Tabarakallah. Always say, Tabarakallah. And remove and protect yourself from the evil eye. Because envy happens innocently. It's a natural desire to see something that is nice, that you like it, and to want it. And not to necessarily want to take it from the brother, but to want to have it since he has it. The Prophet said, don't have hasad for your brother. Don't have envy. Also the Prophet them because envy leads to exploitation. It leads to jealousy. Envy, jealousy, exploitation. The Messenger of Allah Wasallam said, do not inflate prices on one another. That means don't exploit each other. Don't take advantage of each other. Don't take advantage of a situation where there's a drought. So there's no water. So normally maybe the price of a liter of water, maybe it's, uh, it's one dollar. But there's a drought, it happens, and there's no water available. So now the man, he says, okay, it's five, it's, it's five pounds, it's five, five dollars now. Don't inflate prices on each other. And don't go next to your Muslim brother, he's selling something. And because you want to enter that market, you sit next to your Muslim brother and you undercut him. No, you go into the marketplace and you see what the basic prices are in the market. And you enter the market with respect and with dignity, you don't undercut the people, but you put your goods out and you see what the prices are and you fix your prices similar to the prices in the marketplace. And there is some rule in, in Islam about this here. And you have the faith, you have the faith in the yaqeen inside of yourself that whatever Allah wants to bring to you, the customers will come to you. You don't have to undercut. And the Prophet even mentioned this about the marriage. It's haram for a Muslim brother 
to seek the hand of a woman in marriage when he knows that his Muslim brother, he makes the intent for her. Even though maybe you got the connection. You heard maybe the sister, she likes you. You heard, she likes you. She asked about you through somebody. But you heard your brother, he asked about her. So you stay away. This is the manner, this is the duties that we have for each other. The Prophet ﷺ said, None of you truly believes until you love for your Muslim brother what? What you love for yourself. And Imam Ghazali, Rahimullah, he said that uh, in his discussion on this particular hadith, and Allah, he knows best, he said that uh, this is the lowest form of the, the brotherhood. To love for your brother, but to love for yourself is the lowest form. Actually, the highest form is to do what? Is to want for your brother better than what you have for yourself. As was demonstrated by the companions of the Prophet ﷺ when they entered Medina Munawwara, what did they do? One of the companions of, of the Prophet Wasallam, and I, I cannot remember the name of the companion, they were put in twos, one Muhajir and one uh, Ansari. He took his brother to the marketplace and he told him, brother, you can take half of my... I'm sorry, he took him to his house. Brother, you, 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 take, uh, you share with me my house and you share with me my property. And Akhi, subhanAllah, I have two wives. And Akhi, you take the one which you like. SubhanAllah, you and I, we will not do that. And if we did that, we'll give him maybe the older wife. <laughs> See, or oh, the one is not so beautiful. It's natural to give to our brother. If I have a thobe, I give him a thobe. Maybe I, I, I had that thobe. But I got a new thobe. I'm not going to give it to the brother. So the highest form of faith and, uh, and the sign of brotherhood is to want for your brother not just what you want for yourself, but something more than that. To offer to your brother. And that's, uh, that, uh, that, uh, that uh, muhajir, that uh, sahabi, he said, No, akhi, inshallah, may Allah reward you, akhi, please just show me to the marketplace, inshallah. And uh, just show me to the marketplace and I will earn my money, inshallah. You see? So brothers, here the Prophet wasallam is saying, Do not hate one another. If a brother does something to you, which you don't like, don't carry that on his head for the next few months. You avoid him. You speak bad to others about him. You complain to the imam about him. You complain to other brothers about what that brother he did. He spoke to you rough. Or he spoke to you, he insulted you. He did this, he did that. Because what happens is this uh, feeling that's inside of your heart against that brother. Shaitan, he will play on that. And he will increase it. Before you know it, not you just dislike that brother. You begin to hate that brother. And that hatred will lead to enmity. And before you know it, you'll see him as, a, you'll see him as an opponent. So when he needs help, you will leave him. You will refuse him. And if you feel that way about him, you will send the signal to him and how he will feel about you. So, the Messenger of Allah told us, do not hate each other and do not turn away from one another. The Messenger of Allah told us, it's halal for two, two, two Muslims to avoid each other for how long? For three days only, isn't it? After three days, the one who comes back to the other is the better one. Say, Akhi, subhanAllah, Akhi, I don't know what happened. Akhi, please come to my house for dinner, inshallah, Akhi, because he has to come. Akhi, come to my house for dinner, come to my house for lunch. 
I don't know what happened, Akhi, inshallah, Akhi, I love you for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan, Akhi, came, and Akhi, inshallah, I was been thinking about this, Akhi, inshallah, please, Akhi, please, you accept this gift from me, and uh, inshallah, for your, also from, from my wife to your wife, Akhi, and please forgive me. Maybe he was the one. Maybe the brother was the one that insulted you. Maybe he's the one that created this situation. Maybe you had the right, he was in the wrong. SubhanAllah, if you can override that and go back to him and see if you can resolve this, this is a tremendous accomplishment because you have defeated the shaitan. The Prophet ﷺ said, Do not undercut one another, but be you, O servants of Allah, brothers. Brothers. The Muslim is the brother of a Muslim. The Kafir is not the brother of a Muslim. He's not the friend of a Muslim. You know, we go to school with Kafirs, we work with Kafirs, we live around Kafirs, and we say, that's my friend. And you know, I got a friend, he's a non-Muslim. Subhanallah. How you got a friend that's a non-Muslim? The non-Muslims, they're not our friends. You have an associate that's a non-Muslim. He's a decent guy, he likes to be with you. You guys joke together, you sit together, you eat together, but he's never your friend. Your friends are another, none other than whom? Allah and His Messenger وسلم, and the believers. So we have to value our brotherhood because if you don't have your brother, who you have? If you're not with your brother, who will you be with? You'll be with someone other than your brother. And if you're with someone other than your brother, you're with some Kafirs. And you may think at one moment that the Kafirs, they have some respect for you, they have some concern for you, they have some, uh, uh, some loyalty to you, but you will find in a given situation, they have no concern and no respect and no loyalty for you at all. But your brother, if you repair the situation, if you cultivate the situation, your brother will maintain loyalty with you. He will maintain honor with you. He will assist you and he will be with you. But it's something that we have to cultivate. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, A Muslim brother neither oppresses him nor does he fail him. We don't oppress the brother. We don't take advantage of the brother. We don't intimidate the brother. We don't cause any fright in the brother. Even we don't have a right to intimidate a brother. If I'm strong and a brother he's weak, I don't have the right to cause intimidation in him. Even we should not say to each other, we do, you know, we're behind a wall and uh, I'm standing behind the wall and the brother he comes and boo. Subhanallah, no, it's, we cannot do that. This is a violation of the brotherhood. We, we, we don't have the right to cause this kind of even, let's play the joke. The Messenger of Allah Wasallam, he made brotherhood very sacred, very important. It's the whole basis of the Muslim society, brotherhood. And when there's no brotherhood, believe it, there is no substance among the Muslims. No substance. The Muslim brother doesn't oppress his brother and he doesn't fail him. If he makes a promise to him, he keeps the promise. And if he fails to keep that promise, he apologizes and he tries to make up for it. He's there. If his brother leans on him, he's there. He receives him. He got, it's like in the street, you say, I got your back. When your Muslim brother say, I got your back, that means he's got it, he's there. You can depend upon that. This is the kind of brotherhood that we're looking for. The Prophet ﷺ said, he doesn't lie to him. If you ask your brother a question and he answers you, you know that, you can take that to the bank. You know it's true. He's not going to lie to you. 
And he never holds him in contempt. The Messenger of Allah said, At-Taqwa ha-huna. Where is Taqwa? Taqwa is inside the heart. You cannot on one hand have piety, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and also have a hatred for Muslims. You cannot. The two, play, two things cannot sit in the heart the same place. The man who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thinks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wants from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, asks from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pleads towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness, for mercy, for strength, for guidance. The man who has this kind of feeling inside his heart, he's what? Muttaqi. He cannot have hatred for his Muslim brother at the same time. The Messenger of Allah said, At-Taqwa ha-huna. And he pointed to his chest, what? Three times to emphasize this issue. And he said, it is evil enough, meaning that it's enough evidence that there is evil in a Muslim to have what? Contempt for another Muslim. Because contempt, contempt doesn't happen overnight. When you develop contempt for a Muslim brother, hatred for a Muslim brother, you, it has cultivated. The seed was planted and you also cultivated it and allowed it to be cultivated. So it's an evidence that there's evil in you for you to have allowed this, this uh, enmity for your brother to cultivate. So what did the Prophet end with in this hadith? He says, Kullu Muslim, haram. Here haram means what? Inviolable. Sacred. Dammuhu wa maluhu wa irduhu. Dammuhu, his blood, his life. Maluhu, his property. Whatever he has, وَإِرْضُهُ His honor, his reputation, his family. If all of us, inshallah ta'ala, we are keeping this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help us to preserve the issues of brotherhood. And just another short hadith on this, uh, to uh, uh, um, speak a little bit more on this, uh, on this issue. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, عن أبي محمد عبد الله ابن عمر رضي الله عنه ابن عاص رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يكون حواه طبعا لما جئت به Only thoughts of Abu Muhammad Abdullah the son of Amr ibn Aas رضي الله عنهما May Allah be pleased with both of them who said the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, None of you truly believes until his inclination is in accordance with what I have brought. His inclination. <laughs> Not even just the actions, just the inclination. None of you truly believes until his idea, his impulses, his opinion, his feelings, his inclination, what he's inclined to do, is in accordance with what I have brought. What is it that he brought, وسلم? in accordance with the Qur'an, and according to the Sunnah. So what does it mean? It means that when I think of something, when I feel something, when I'm inclined to do something, when I have some opinion, the first thing I should try to do is to do what? Find out what is the proof of this issue. Find out what is the proof. Then when I find out what is the proof, incline myself towards that. Because if I don't, la yu'min. We're not Muslims. We're not, we're not uh, true believers. We're Muslims in our name. We're Muslims in our tongue. We're Muslims in, uh, as people see us. 
but would not have arrived at, uh, at, uh, at faith. Brothers, uh, in, in, in conclusion, I want to remind you and remind myself that the duties of brotherhood are the most important duties because without the duties of brotherhood, we can never build a society. You have a family, I have a family. You have your life, I have my life. But the only thing that will bind our families together and bind our lives together is the duties of brotherhood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ أَوْضُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانَ الْجِيمِ إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ what? إِخْوَةً فَاسْلِهُ بَيْنَ أَخْوَيْكُمْ So, make sulh, make islah, reconcile between the brothers, make peace. And on يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ one of the highest stations will be reserved before the people who used to commit themselves, dedicate themselves for making peace between Muslims. It's Muslim Brotherhood. You know, subhanAllah, when you come in a gathering of Muslims, a gathering, a large gathering of Muslims, see how they treat each other. Really see. See how they treat the elderly. See how the youth treat the elderly, and see how the elderly treat the youth. See how they offer each other the best uh, spots to sit. See how they are when uh, they're entering through doorways. See how they are when they meet and pass each other. See how the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, how they was. When they just they separated each other by just a wall, what did they do? They give salam to each other again. Always, salamu alaykum aki, kif halik, alhamdulillah, mashallah. Subhanallah, you know the, 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 the Sudani brothers. MashaAllah, and I mentioned them because it's a habit of theirs. When they meet each other, maybe the brother, he can uh, vouch for this. When the Sudani brothers meet each other, this is a good habit they have. They spend, when they meet each other, they spend about five minutes just saying, كيف حالك أكيد الحمد لله الله يرحمه الله يسمعه سبحان الله أكيد كيفك ما شاء الله سبحان الله الله يرضى عليك الحمد لله يرضى عليك الله الله يسمعه سبحان الله I mean just about five minutes they're just doing that and what is this for? To increase the love for each other and the respect for each other and we see each other كيف حالك أكيد ما شاء الله أكيد سلام عليك رحمة الله بركاته أكيد ما شاء الله you know and that's it maybe we don't say nothing else or we enter a room and we just sit down. We pass each other in the doorway, and we just look at each other. No. If we want to do the things to increase love, respect, we have tremendous respect and patience for each other. But the kuffar, when we meet the kuffar, we can look at the kuffar strong. Watch them. We don't look like that to a Muslim. For the Muslim, we are what Allah SWT say about the believers. The believers are what to each other? Ruhama. Is right? Ashiddaw ala al-kufari. Yashiddaw or ashiddaw. Ashiddaw ala al-kufari. Wa ruhama. Bainahum. We almost kind of like reversed it. You see the brothers among the college in school, the neighbors in the street, the homeboys in the street. They slapping five and hugging each other. What's going on, man? So and so. Then when he meet a Muslim, he's looking at him and standing. What, what are you looking at? <laughs> Subhanallah. And brothers, honestly, the kuffar, when they see in us this weakness of brotherhood, they know we are not the right Muslims. And they will not have any respect for us. So I want to remind myself and remind the brothers, inshallah, that we practice this issue of brotherhood. The simple, the simple things of brotherhood. Invite each other to each other's house. So you get to know a brother. Do you know me? 
Do you know your Muslim brother? When did you eat with him? What's his, fa what's his children's name? What's the names of his children? Does your wife know his wife? Where does he work? What kind of business is he in? What kind of knowledge does he have? What can you do for him? What he can do for you? Where does he live? Under what circumstances is he living? What is his situation? First you find this out about four or five brothers. Then you find out about 10 or 15 brothers. And how do you do that? In a natural way. Invite the brothers. Every, day, every week, you select a Muslim to invite to come to your house for tea. And after a while, this will become a habit among the brothers. And brothers, look, I'm telling you because you're young Muslims. Sometimes the older Muslims, if you tell them this, this kind of thing, they heard this so much, they say, look, brother, you know, we, we, we heard all of this before. But you brothers are young. And if you establish this love for each other and respect for each other now, it will stay with you. This love for brotherhood will stay with you. And this will be, this will be the fragrance, the fragrance, the mukh, the essence. Because then this will lead to allegiance and loyalty. Where there is no brotherhood, there is no allegiance and there is no loyalty. And there is no, even there is no discipline. The companions of the Prophet they loved each other for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he mentioned that there are three qualities. Whomsoever has them has what? Has tasted halawatul iman. And what are those three things? That a man has more love for Allah and his messenger ﷺ mimma siwahuma. He has love, honor, respect, obedience towards Allah and his messenger ﷺ, towards the Quran and the sunnah more than all else in the whole dunya. And secondly, what is it? He loves another person, for what reason? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you love a brother, what did the Prophet say you should do? You should tell him, Ya akhi, uhibbuka fillah. Akhi, I love you for the sake of Allah. You know the kafirs, when they hear the Muslim brother say to his brother, Akhi, I love you. They say, what? What? Look at, what these guys, is funny. <laughs> because they don't understand how the Muslim brother, he loves his brother. But they don't have to understand. This is a special jewel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to us to bind us, our hearts together. Even we don't know each other. From a linguistic point of view, from a cultural point of view, from an ethnic point of view, we don't know each other, but we have love for each other. So brothers, I want to just remind you of this, that we console each other, we protect each other, we relieve each other, we shield each other, we assist each other, we support each other, we avoid envy and exploitation, we avoid undercutting and subversion, we avoid oppressing each other and intimidating each other. We don't fail each other, we never abandon each other, we don't lie to each other. We don't hate or show enmity towards one another. We hold each other's property, each other's life, blood, and honor as a trust and a sacred matter. Dear brothers, in uh, finality, I'd like to thank you, inshallah, for uh, listening to me. And uh, I don't have any special uh, expertise uh, in this particular area, but just a concern, inshallah, to increase our brotherhood amongst each other because if, if we increase our brotherhood, Allah will be more pleased with us, inshallah. And if Allah is more pleased with us, He will accept our dua and He will accept our ibadah, inshallah.
Um, inshallah, brother, alhamdulillah. Let me just say a couple of just comments myself, uh, observations. You know, brothers, and I'm talking to you, brothers, as young brothers. The, the Muslim body, one of our problems is we don't have any discipline. This is one of our major problems. And um, it's, it's very tragic and it's very sad. Whenever you come to a gathering of Muslims, you find they don't have any, they don't have any, they have no discipline. Everybody is doing what he wants to do, how he feels to do. And even the imam in the masjid, he's only the leader of the prayer. This is what has happened among the Muslims. The imam of the masjid is not necessarily the amir of them. Because if he is the amir, what he has the right to do? He has the right to order them. If he, if he does like that, he doesn't even have to speak. Just he does like that, they sit. And if he says like that, he doesn't have to speak, they go. He can settle disputes among them only by what? By his station and respect among them. They enter a room and they have tremendous respect and they don't leave without his permission. This is, a, this is part of the, the etiquette, the adab. But you find that the Muslims, they, they come to the masjid, mashallah, to pray or to hear a lecture, whatever they do, but they come as cattle. And you will see it in how they enter and how they leave. They don't ask permission, they have no adab. And who can change this? The older Muslims will not change it. You young brothers can change it, but you yourselves have got to develop discipline. You have to show by example respect for your leader. We don't uh, idolize anybody. We don't idolize anybody and we're not fixed on no personalities. But the discipline of Islam is to follow the leader, isn't it? Not just in the salah, because uh, uh, what the Prophet said, whoever raises his head before the Imam raises his head, maybe Allah will turn his head into a donkey. You see, what does it mean? It means that the prayer is teaching us what? Discipline, coordination, following the leader, subduing your own nafs, your own feeling. Not leaving even the companions of the Prophet they didn't just get up and leave after the prayer like they just want to. They didn't do that. They used to ask for permission. Just an etiquette, an adab. Ask for permission. One time a man got up from, from the prayer, he just left. The Prophet stopped him. He said, oh so and so, isn't there something you want to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for? He's encouraging him to do what? Stay and make uh, nafal, stay and make dua. Remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the companions of the Prophet They used to sit and wait for the signal of the Prophet sallallahu then they leave. This is an adab. The young Muslims, my advice for the young Muslims, learn to follow your leader and be disciplined and be vigilant and show by your example what you expect from the others. Serve the Muslims, but also regulate them. Because if there's no regulation among the Muslims, all this other talk about, all this talk about the Khilafah, Islamic State, uh, our problems, so and so, it will never be resolved if we don't put our house in order. Putting our house in order is the respect that is shown. In the universities, when you go to the universities, can anybody just enter the classroom and leave the classroom when they get ready?
Can they? No, they cannot. You cannot. You're expected to be in the class at a certain time and to leave at a certain time. Otherwise, it's going to do what? It's going to affect your grade, isn't it? Everything, everything in the society that we live in is built around regulation and order. You go to a bank, you have to stand in a queue. Is it right? You go to the Muslim world, to the passport place or any other place, what happens? Nobody wants to stand in a queue. Everybody's pushing, shouting, and, and pushing, and kicking each other, and all they need to do is just stand in the queue. Respect. Huh? Yes, you see? You see, Hajjul Aswad is an example. It's no even, not even any virtue. Not even a virtue to have to kiss the stone. What did Umar al Khattab say when he was making tawaf? He stopped at the stone and said, Oh, stone. I know that you are nothing but a stone, and there is no benefit and no harm in you. And if I did not see the Messenger of Allah kissing you, I would not do it either. SubhanAllah. And uh, in making the tawaf, if one is able to do it easily, alhamdulillah, this is, an, this, is, this, is an, this is an adab. It's good, you can do it. But if you cannot, just to, just to wave at it. Because what? It's just like the jamrat. You know, subhanAllah, the people are throwing, they're going to the jamrat like this is real shaitan. They're not avoiding shaitan in their businesses at home. They're not avoiding the shaitan. They're not even performing fajr prayer. They're doing all kinds of haram in their houses, but in the, when they go to hajj, they're throwing rocks, they're throwing their shoes, they're throwing everything like, like this is the shaitan. And they don't realize it. What is it? It's only just a symbol. It's a symbol. So brothers, I'm, I say to you, young brothers, you have the energy. You have the strength. And if you are disciplined and under leadership and you respect the leader, and you show discipline and order, you will be able, inshallah ta'ala, to help regulate the Muslims. You will be able to regulate them. In a gathering like we had last night, maybe which will be there tonight, mashallah, we, 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 we thank Allah for the gathering of the Muslims like that. But there is also another sign that we need to look at. In these kind of gatherings, there needs to be 40 or 50 young men who are doing what? Khidmah. We don't call it security. We call it khidmah, service. But what are they doing? They are seeing the older men when they come to the mosque and they are saying, Kif halik baba, kif halik sheikh, alhamdulillah, faddalu, giving them the best seats, you see? And the oldest, the younger brothers, tell them, Akhi, kef halak, Akhi, alhamdulillah, Akhi, Akhi, inshallah, let's place over here for the younger brothers, inshallah. What are they doing? They are teaching through their manners that we give the better seats for the elder. And we leave the standing room only for whom? The younger. And we tell the brothers, Ya Akhi, inshallah, let me have your shoes, brother, I'll put them up, inshallah. And you even have a system where everything is in order. I told the brother yesterday, I went to Tokyo. And I visited some Muslims in Tokyo. Subhanallah, you cannot imagine. They have a masjid half the size of this place here. But all the wall space is there. There is no wall space. They are using every single part of space. Because Japan is a very small island. And there are no shoes. No shoes in the front. They have someone who stands at the bathroom, toilet. And they are cleaning, wiping, spraying, towels. You come outside, 
And if you, if you leave water on the floor or water on the sink, they come tap you, tell you go back inside, clean up behind yourself. If you leave your shoes sitting outside, they come and tap you and tell you, brother, come. And they have these little things that slide open, put the shoes inside, slide close. Your clothes, you have a coat, you don't throw it on the side over there, you take it, you hang it up. Very, very neat order, discipline. This is the way the Japanese are. And he told me, Akhi, one thing I cannot understand is uh, why, why the Muslims, they don't know what to do with their shoes. <laughs> Subhanallah. And he is an engineer, and he said, he believes that there is a sickness among the Muslims which is indicative of the shoes. The shoes is the, is the sign of it. He says, when the Muslims find out what to do with the shoes, the organization will come back to them. At, at the time, I thought that was a little bit simplistic. But I think he's got something there. So my suggestion, brothers, is that the young brothers, whom Allah blessed their hearts to be at Fajr prayer, who, blessed, who are blessed to have come back to their consciousness, who are striving to follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah, who are young, who are under discipline, who are having knowledge, who are being taught, if it will not come through you, who will come through? Who the chains will come through? The brothers should develop a group like Helfal Fudul. This was the, a group of young people whom the Prophet ﷺ was with when he was young. I think uh, he was eight, nine, or ten years old in Mecca. And he belonged to a group of young men called Hilf al-Fudul. What does it mean in, uh, exactly? A, a committee for doing goodness or something like that? Huh? Uh -huh. See? Like the Boy Scouts, like the 4-H Club or something like that. They, they are committed to do what? Social goodness. So the Messenger of Allah ﷺ was involved in what? Social work. Watching and see if there's something uh, going on in the streets, and they go back and report it to the elders. Seeing if there's somebody is sick, removing something out of the path, taking care of the elderly. So the young people today, if we initiate something like that, and wherever, wherever there's a gathering, those brothers, they are there serving. The imam, he will love it. They will love it, because the brothers, they're not doing security. What they're doing, they're doing service. But at the same token, they're also doing what? The younger brothers, they're helping with the shoes. They're making sure the toilets are clean. They're making sure around the masjid, you understand what I mean? The cars are parked and everything is looking nice. They're making sure also, who are the guests, who are the elders? The masjid and the premises also is secure from the kuffar and other types of things. If we do that, you'll find, inshallah ta'ala, a few things will happen. In those kinds of gatherings, there are people who are planted in our gatherings to do what? To create provocation. To create some fitna. You'll find them discouraged from doing that because they find what? Young, vigilant men whose eyes are piercing and whom they, if they don't fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will fear those young men. We don't intimidate any Muslims, but this is one of the ways that we call it modifying bad behavior. A thief, you know, a thief, if he wants to steal, he's, a, he's accustomed to finding places to steal. But there is a man, he's a watchman, he's always walking around with, he has a stick, and he's always watching, looking. What are you doing? What are you doing? Get out of here! See, this is one place he avoids. Only for that one man. So, 
MashaAllah, brothers, there is the good element amongst us and there's the bad element among the Muslims. We will all be increased, you see, in our discipline, in our organization, when there is uh, some element that helps to remind us of this here. And so I'm suggesting uh, to the brothers uh, under the leadership and guidance of the Imam and uh, under the leadership and guidance of, of others, think about this issue and um, take your strength and take your discipline and take your training, take it to another level and, uh, and do service wherever you go. Wherever there's a gathering, do service. And part of that service also is, uh, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a good way, helping to regulate the flow of the Muslims. Because you will find that some non-Muslims, when they come amongst us, they will respond. Maybe they don't understand the issue of Aqidah, but they like the brotherhood they see among the Muslims. They like the discipline they see among them. They like to see how they regulate their affairs. They like to see how they execute their, um, uh, their uh, activities. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that all of this we is inculcated in the issue of brotherhood. And I just added this on as uh, uh, a personal concern of mine, inshallah. Inshallah, thank you brothers very much for um, giving me this amount of time. Inshallah, I hope I didn't take more time and discourage you from, from uh, coming tomorrow, inshallah. What is the purpose of life? Why is it that when we ask the simple question, what is the purpose of our lives? Why do we get so many different answers? It is because people haven't really thought about it. It's too frightening. Not the question itself is frightening, but what's frightening is that if we answer it clearly, it may change our lives indelibly. And we are afraid of change. And now we have discovered that every part of creation that has been discovered is inside of a drop of water. Well, the Quran already said that to us 1,500 years ago that we created everything and every single thing from water. The Quran said that. We want to talk this evening about Jesus the son of Mary and his phenomenal birth. A birth that very few human beings, whether Muslims or Christians, have any argument about. We believe, and our Quran makes it clear for us and confirms for us that Jesus Christ, in fact, he was born without the intervention of sperm. That his mother, Mary, that blessed woman, she became pregnant by the word of God. No man touched her.
Eight murders or homicides are committed every 19 minutes. And two rapes are committed every seven minutes. And there are three robberies every 59 seconds. There are 257,000 children that are legally or illegally aborted. That is, 257,000 children are killed in the womb by license. 21 million children are born every year out of wedlock who do not know their mothers and fathers or who do not know whom they are fathered by. 2.8 million suicides every year of human beings who find no reason to live. With these kinds of social problems inside of their own boundaries, inside of their own governments, in their own institutions, how can they bring peace to the world? It doesn't make sense. O oh, Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds you and me that whatever good happens, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if something else happens, this is from our own hands. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has ordered you and I to enjoin what is right and forbid what is wrong. And when we cease to do that, we don't enjoin the right, we don't enjoin, uh, enjoin the, we don't enjoin the right, we don't forbid the wrong, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that He will visit us a calamity from Himself. So that when the calamity happens, or you are punished, and the musibah comes upon you, and you call upon Allah, He will not answer. What do the Muslims of today expect? The character of the Muslim is the most important part of the Muslim. Not what he or she says, not only what he or she wears, not where they come from or who their mother or father is or grandfather, not the country they live in, or for that matter, if they live next to the Kaaba. This is not important at all. It is the character, because the character is the actual fruit. And we can remember on the occasion when the Prophet ﷺ invited his companions to make a sacrifice in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Umar ibn al-Khattab he brought half of his wealth. And he considered this to have been a major sacrifice. And he was very proud of that. But when Abu Bakr came, Abu Bakr, he brought all of his wealth. And when the Prophet asked Abu Bakr, what he had left for his family, 
What was the response of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu? He said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu. Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it was by the suggestion or the order of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Abu Bakr took back some of his wealth for his family. And this is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that there was no one from among the Muslims who displayed his loyalty to Allah and his messenger وسلم, similar to that of Abu Bakr. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, yes, definitely. Who? Who is better? Who is more excellent than the one that calls towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Not just calling, not just shouting, not just arguing. But they are acting upon what they are calling. They are setting a precedent for what they are calling too. They have established a behavior, a paradigm, an example to what they are calling too. And they openly say, announce, I am Muslim. Where oceans and rivers meet, does the ocean take over the river? It doesn't, although the ocean might be five times, six times, eight times, ten times larger than a river. And you know, if you took two bodies of water and you put a funnel in between them, what would happen? The larger body would absorb the smaller body, wouldn't they? But in the case of the ocean and the river, it doesn't happen because Allah said He put a bazaar. So they do not overcome each other. And one of our uh, Jacques Cousteau, who passed away now, he was a marine biologist. He was able to film under the ocean where the rivers meet the ocean and the river meets the ocean and the ocean meets the river and they go back. They meet and they go back. So therefore the rivers return back to itself and the ocean returns back to itself and they do not overcome each other. How did the prophet know that? Islam has five fundamental pillars, the first of which is to bear witness that there is none to be worshipped except Almighty God, consistent with the first commandment given to Moses, consistent with the first commandment that Jesus Christ also said is the greatest of the commandments. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, absolutely one, not the number one. Not the number one that could be divided into one, two, three. Not the number one that could be multiplied. But absolutely one, having no one besides, no other God besides. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul, and thou shalt not worship anyone except the Lord thy God nor bow down to any graven images in the heavens or the earth or the sea below. Such said Moses, and such said confirmed Jesus Christ, and such said the Quran. This is what we bear witness, and this is the first pillar of Islam, and the most important. If war erupts in Iraq, more than 3,000 missiles will be rained upon Iraq in a course of six, six hours and more than a half a million people will be killed. Can you tell me 
how the lives of a half a million people are equal to a leader, Saddam Hussein. If America was able to go into South America and pull out, what was the guy's name, General uh, Noriega. America was selling drugs with Noriega, but then Noriega flipped on them. So they went in and took this man from his country, brought him out, and put him in jail for life in their country. So why did they don't just go into Iraq and pull out Saddam? No, they need to go into Iraq. Why? Because you'll find that in a matter of six months after the war, the prices in the oil will go down. And as we speak right now, there are 27 mega companies, mega companies who are bidding for contracts for the reconstruction of Iraq. What does it have to do with Saddam Hussein and democracy? If a man had to get pregnant and have a baby, he would die. And then on top of that, if he had to look forward to taking care of that child for the next 10, 15, 20 years, and sometimes the mother, she's taking care of a grown child. Men who still live with their mothers. You couldn't do it. And still she's taking care of herself and she's taking care of her husband. May Allah subhanahu wa reward those sisters. And may Allah cover their faults. And may Allah cause the husbands and brothers and sons to appreciate them because they are the goodly trees that bear the goodly fruit Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa he made brotherhood very sacred, very important. It's the whole basis of the Muslim society, brotherhood. And when there's no brotherhood, believe it, there is no substance among the Muslims. No substance. The first principle and characteristics of da'wah is that the da'i has to have knowledge. Not just ambition, not just emotional drive, and not just a reaction to some insult that somebody has said, and not just a feeling to want to give da'wah because you know it's an obligation. All of those things are good and it's all necessary. But without knowledge, what are you going to do? But always show your composure and your willingness to talk to anybody. Because why? You put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the very beginning. The messenger of Allah said, Allah, he didn't have all the answers. But he put his trust upon Allah. Allah says to him, فَتَوَكَّلُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ على المسدد نبينا الهادي محمد في روحه عزم عظيم في الهمة الكبرى تجسد يغشى الوضى من غير خوف وحنين والأحزاب تشد في روحه عزم عظيم 